she had lost a lot of weight and had excess skin and still a bit of excess fat on her upper arms and probably about 10 years ago went to a clinic and they said, yep, sure, we can um, fix your arms. It all healed terribly. When she came to see me, what she described is is that her arms look like, people used to ask her how she got burnt, like they look like burn scars and still extra skin, bulging areas everywhere. Hey Refam, I'm Kate and this is Keeping It Real, the podcast teaching you how to spot a shyster before it's too late. Look, we've named this episode Cosmetic Cowboys, which I realise is a pretty cutesy name, but ultimately it's a terrifying reality where doctors unqualified to be performing plastic surgery are slicing and dicing patients in back rooms with some pretty shocking and scary results. Here at RE, we care deeply about arming you with information so you can make safe and informed decisions. In this week's episode, Kim and Richard will point out some red flags to watch out for, as well as sharing some of their own patients' experiences. We also explain how exactly these doctors are still operating and why the regulatory bodies still aren't pulling their weight. So today we're talking about cosmetic cowboys. Uh, We've talked about cosmetic surgeons at length multiple times red flags etc but just in case there's any newbies this time what exactly is the distinction between a cosmetic surgeon and a plastic surgeon and why why does it exist that they can do surgery okay so let's unpack this one the basic medical degree is an mbbs which is a bachelor of medicine bachelor of surgery in years gone by it was like that so that country gps could do minor procedures ingrown uh, toenails maybe appendixes um, uh, other minor surgeries over time more surgeons have been trained There there are surgeons basically in every regional town and there's no need for it however the basic medical degree hasn't changed so it's still a bachelor of medicine bachelor of surgery which allows any doctor in Australia to refer to themselves as a surgeon. Now, within the College of Surgeons, there are a number of specialties, such as plastic surgeons, orthopaedic surgeon, ear, nose and throat, neurosurgery, paediatric, urology. They're all protected titles. So no one... uh, So you can't call yourself a plastic surgeon because that is a protected title with APRA, the Australian Medical Council. However... You can call yourself a surgeon. You can put any prefix in front of it, which is where a prefix would go. Yeah, famously. In front of it that isn't one of those protected titles. So that's why, uh, and people can use the term cosmetic surgeon. So anybody who is a doctor in Australia, some of the surgery that we do doesn't need to be done in a big hospital, the patients don't need to stay overnight, they don't need intensive care, there's not a lot of specialised equipment. Now, you could do the same with orthopaedic surgery and call yourself a bone surgeon, right? But to do that sort of surgery, firstly, they tend to be older patients. You'd need an orthopaedic supplies company to supply you with the equipment. 
they're not going to do that if you're not a surgeon. You'd need x-rays, you'd need drills, you need, you need a lot more infrastructure. Patients tend to stay in hospital longer. They might need to go to intensive care or, or an HDU. And so no one's going to do it. As Richard said, for all those other specialties, mm-hmm. um, the surgery, not that the surgery that we do is uncomplicated, but it is, um, it's more complex and requires different tools that are mm-hmm. um, less readily available and probably not as lucrative as well. And the, the stakes to do brain surgery is um, yeah. higher. But the, the then assumption that a lot of the procedures that we do are easy to learn and you only need to be trained in cosmetic procedures to be able to do a breast augmentation. Like the, the theory is that, oh, you could do a weekend course kind of thing and if you've done X number of breast augmentations then you're going to be the best at doing breast augmentation. Yeah. But our training doesn't train us specifically to be experts in breast augmentation. It trains us in um, tissue handling, um, looking after patients, patient safety, patient care, breast aesthetics, breast Mm -hmm. reconstruction, all the possible procedures you could do on the breast so that then you are much more able to have the skills to do all the procedures that you may need to do rather than just being taught okay well I've done the most breast augmentations that there are so but if something goes wrong with that or if they're not your stock standard simple um, straightforward breast augmentation then it's a lot of those proceduralists um, would then be like oh I can't I can't do your operation because it's it's too complex yeah gotcha I think the other thing the other reason why plastic surgery and the aesthetic procedures in particular are more attractive, is that they're all basically skin-based procedures. So you can get away with a lot under local anaesthetic and not require an anaesthetist. Whereas... Oh, oh my God. <clears throat> yeah, so you can do it in the, in the office or a back office or a... Correct. Cupboard. Or a cupboard. <laughs> cupboard. Yeah. Mall. Storeroom, kitchen. No, so, uh, so a big barrier for doing, say, neurosurgery would be you need to have a specialist anaesthetist there. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you need to be asleep. Same for orthopaedic. Like no one's doing a hip replacement under local anaesthetic. Whereas, you know, things like um, liposuction, possibly at a stretcher, a breast augmentation, that they're all basically skin operations, which you can – which you can numb with local anaesthetic and so you can go ahead – God, that's scary. What are some red flags people look out for? I like I've noticed that kind of a lot of the rhetoric around this is like, okay, well, like, why didn't that person know? Um, but you know, there's things missing. Like I would have assumed that the cost would be a red flag because it's so much cheaper. But then I looked at things and they're either not cheaper or more expensive. So what are some things where people could actually be like, oh, okay, that's not a plastic surgeon? It can be extremely difficult because um, websites and social media uh, can be made flashy and and say I've done thousands of these procedures and I've been um, doing this operation for 30 years and I've been a pioneer in this procedure. Mm-hmm. If you're a patient that's doing research and you're like, oh, this person's got 20 different letters after their name, yeah. it, it pays to delve into what those 
letters actually are. Um, qualification is a massive thing. Um, and so for us, we have the initials F-R-A-C-S and in brackets P-L-A-S after mm-hmm. it. So that's a fellow of the Royal Australasian Col- College of Surgeons in plastic surgery. So there are um, fellows of our college as well that are not plastic surgeons that are also doing these procedures. So that they're, they are trained surgically but not necessarily in breast aesthetics or the type of facial aesthetics, the type of procedures that we do. Is there any other red flags people can like quite easily see or not easily? But Well, I, I think it is relatively easy. As Kim said, like it, it, it just comes down to qualifications. So that's the baseline. If you're not a FRACS, you're not a surgeon, full stop. You can go to the ARPA website, look it up. It doesn't matter what is on their website. I think uh, people get caught up in websites, social media, and that's changed it. But the, some of these people have been doing this for 20, 30 years. They predate Facebook, predate Instagram, predate TikTok, even predate Google. So shysters have been around f- forever and they will be trying to do things that they shouldn't be doing. Um, it's, it's just a little bit, I suppose, more available now and people can see it. But in some ways that actually makes it better for patients and consumers who are looking for these procedures and trying to do this sort of research. I would argue 20 years ago it was maybe harder to prove because you couldn't go to the ARPA website and look that up. Now you can. And, and you so can also look on their, their about me uh, websites and look at pre and post-op. And we did that this week and um, some of that for sure is uh, as we, we're – Kate, you and I had that conversation as well about um, a little bit of buyer beware. Like if someone's got their best results on their website is something that you look at and go, I can't tell the difference between the the pre and the post-op, then you know, maybe that there isn't a difference and wow, there's no scars there, but perhaps that that's not the procedure that's going to get you to where you want to go. Yeah, I also noticed in their like about me section, if they say they're passionate, it's normally in lieu of any kind of degree or experience. Um, have you guys had many people come who have gone to see a cosmetic surgeon or do you not tend to notice a lot of crossover between the two? No, I see a lot of crossover um, and in, in different sort of ways. So sometimes I'll, uh, I'll see a patient who has been to someone who's not a surgeon mm-hmm. and they've walked in the door and they've been horrified and – the stories are always a bit similar. Um, the doctor doesn't spend a lot of time with them. The office, the, their policy, their procedures, and how the appointment got booked and how long they kept waiting is is not in line with how we would do it. They felt rushed during the consultation, and then uh, as soon as the consultation was over, they were moved in to see some sort of manager who did the try to do the pressure sale, and and then they sort of run a mile and there's often a follow-up phone call from the the doctor widen your book what's going on and they realize that they've just dodged a bullet and so that's more than like a consultation like that's them trying to get them to pay the money while yeah. they're there book yeah. them in next week for the surgery correct yeah. correct so i think you know i mean that's obviously a red flag so i see those patients and they step back and they say wow uh now i can see it and they're not actually um a surgeon and then they come for a consultation about the same problem and often my advice is radically different to 
what they were maybe having proposed to them. So the most common thing is liposuction when they need a tummy tuck or more weight loss prior to surgery. So uh, they've maybe seen someone they've said, yep, you're great, you do liposuction or whatever. And then I come in and say, no, look, that's not going to get you a good result. You need to lose some weight and then it's probably going to be a tummy tuck. So that's a common scenario. The other scenario for me is where they've actually had surgery. And this is really hard. And I'm very empathetic with these patients because they they do, they do they realise that they've made a mistake. They're embarrassed. Often embarrassed, yeah. 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 It's em- a big step for them to go and then come and see us or see someone else. Really big step. They've lost a lot of money as well. And yep. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and they've lost their confidence because they've undergone something and they feel like they've been duped. And, and they've got a, you know, not a good result and then you've got to try and salvage it. And the most common, uh, the two most common is, you know, breast and tummy where they've had a liposuction procedure where they needed a skin uh, excision type procedure or a lifting procedure in the case with the breast and, uh, th- and that needs to be then corrected. And it, it, it does make it a little bit harder because there's scarring and things like that. Having said that, they're usually terrific patients because... Uh, you know their expectations <laughs> have been artificially lowered, and they're very grateful for anything that you can do. We're to also salvage. just we, we are very good. Um, I don't know if that was the best sell that we've ever had. <laughs> they're the best patients because they expect Aren't little to nothing. <laughs> what about you, Kim? <coughs> um, so yeah, the same sort of scenario, and um, they're. What I would want to say to patients that are kind of in that trapped where they've had a consult, they've maybe paid their money and then they even get there on the day and be like, I've got an uneasy feeling, this doesn't feel right. And even um, the TV show that was on recently, had the, the patients that they spoke to said, you know, I kind of, you know, I was there and on the day and it just didn't feel right. It's never too late <laughs> until yeah. afterwards. And the only thing, if you've got that feeling that you're going to have is regret that you that you didn't step away, yeah. um, because it you can't you can't turn back an operation. Um, I, unbelievably, the last patient I saw today has a story that I uh, I almost couldn't believe. So I just recently performed um, brachioplasty on her, knowing that she'd previously had surgery, and she was in to see me today. And I thought, oh, I'm just going to quickly ask her if she doesn't mind if I. Didn't, if she didn't mind me telling her story, what she'd been through before. And she said, oh, yeah, absolutely, but I've got more to tell you. So the the part of the story that I thought I knew was that she had... We're all very excited. I'm scared. <laughs> so she's got underlying some underlying medical problems and is on blood thinners. Um, and so it's a, a tricky patient to start with. Um she had lost a lot of weight and had excess skin and still a bit of excess fat on her upper arms and probably about 10 years ago went to a clinic and they said, yep, sure, we can um, fix your arms. She had three procedures in a short space of time. The first one, um, she had two, I assume doctors, operating on at the same time, wide awake and ended up with a a really significant fold in the middle of her arms and basically no sort of result. And so she went back and they, he, she told me again today, and she's told me the same story before, without any consent or just sitting in the office and no local anaesthetic, just cut her arm <gasps> open. What? 
Yeah, to say, just to release, because you're this transverse. No guy. local anesthetic. No local anesthetic. So Carter, um, open, sorry, Kate. What? Um, Carter opened. Kate and I have just fallen off our chairs. And then said, we'll just let it heal. And then she went back for that. So she had weeks and weeks of dressings and it didn't improve. And then so she went back this other time. How painful was it? And when you painful. say let it heal, is it like did like they left stitch a hole. it up or just no, left? Like left a probably five by five centimetre hole in it. Look, arm. I'm no surgeon, but <laughs> the math ain't mathing. That's not. <laughs> but wait, it gets better. So then she goes oh back gosh. for a review and he's like, Oh yeah, we don't we don't have much time. But um yeah, uh I think we can. We need to redo it. So, puts it. It sounds like the consultant in the procedure room may be the same thing, but mm-hmm. maybe um, into a, a and no one else in the room. So I said, even if we do little touch ups here, there's always the nurse in the room. So, um, just the doctor, and maybe some local anesthetist, and then reopened the entire incision again. She's on blood thin. Like she's going to be having some bleeding. Um, it all healed. Terribly, when she came to see me, what she described is, is that her arms look like people used to ask her how she got burnt, like they look like oh, burned scars, oh and bet. still extra skin, bulging areas everywhere. That was the story I knew beforehand. So I, when I said to oh her, God, today, oh no, oh no, <laughs> <laughs> it so gets said, worse. Do you mind if I tell that tell that your story on the podcast? I won't say your name or the clinic or anything. Yeah. And so she said. Oh, yeah, like people have been talking to me about the show this week. I didn't watch it. But I remember the first opera, a wide awake, music, and they were dancing in the theatre. A knock on the door. And I'm like, you're wide awake. She's like, yep. A knock on the door. Oh, the electricians are here. And the electricians have to do some work. So they threw a sheet over her face. No. Threat. <laughs> oh, not a word of a lie that... I wish I could say her name and she will absolutely vouch. Yeah, yeah. They threw a sheet on her face. I mean, I could understand plumbers, but electrician, <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. So three electricians came in. She was sat <laughs> up. The nurse was joking because she's like, oh, you look like a ghost. Took photos <gasps> of her with no. rabbit's, Who did? rabbit's ears. The nurse. The, the nurse behind, with rabbit's ear, like putting the fingers up behind her head. And she's she couldn't awake. see any of it. She's wide awake. And then the skin that they removed from her arm flapped around and said, Hey, mate, to the electrician, check out the sweat that we just removed. Bull. I am, Can I say bullshit? I am not. Yeah, mate. It's your podcast. <laughs> uh, this not a word of a lie. I'm like, she just told me this like literally 30 minutes That's ago. That's horrific. I'm like, this is. That is what terrible. The, like, Hang on a ha- sec. Ha- the electricians were in the In the theatre while she's having a procedure. We no. won't call it surgery because like. She was yeah, having yeah. an and operation, like, and then oh yeah, mate, we just got to fix the uh, the lights and tell you what they would have had a great story to tell when they got home that night. Oh, oh my god, they're calling uh, up sterility, uh, yeah. patient confidentiality, uh, patient safety. I think, and like, you wouldn't even get you know, changed all, in your room if Sparky's robot, yeah. like <laughs> like let alone being naked on a thing and cut having open. surgery, like and. You know, we sort of and, – and this patient, she's amazing and she was more than happy for me to tell the story. And I was, like, horrified. And I say, you know, this is not about us and them and, oh, you know, it, this is about patient safety and how disrespectful. Yeah. And I just there's, – yeah. there's a hundred ways that this is wrong, so wrong, and I – That I'm was like, just with the first part of the story. Yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I said, you know, like, like I feel – terrible that you've been treated this way and she's flashing her arms around to me saying you know this is the fourth operation and 
I said, hopefully there's no fish. She's like, no, super happy. She's got yeah. like fine little line scars. She's doing amazingly. Um, but it's, it is frightful. And she had um, family members that were medical and said, what, you need to complain? You need to, and she's like, yeah. oh, you know, oh, well, you know, oh, I chose to go there. And um, has, has significant amounts of guilt about that. And it took her, I think she said about 12 years before she then came <gasps> and had surgery with me. Yeah. But that's such a common... Not the electrician part, but <laughs> the uh, just being embarrassed yeah, and not not like just not wanting to go down the path again. Yeah. And I mean that applies to so many situations. But when people who aren't involved are just like, oh, of course, like just go and complain about it. Yeah. It's like that's a huge so mental much, hurdle that yeah, you're going to so go much past. easier said than done. Yeah, um, and the same patient. Um, don't worry, it's not going to get worse. Uh, mm. she, she wants me to operate on her thighs and she's asked me, I've, I've seen her oh, at least five times and she's asked me every time and I'm like, no, no, like you, your thighs are actually not suitable for surgery. It's not yeah. safe. These are the goals that you need to achieve. These are other tests and other things that you have to have done. Mm-hmm. Um, but I said to her, oh, there's a high chance you go back to that place, they'll get the electrician to do your surgery, but, but yeah. no, but... You, know, yes. you you go somewhere and it's it it takes experience and um skill to know when to say no like and mm-hmm. and it's it, it is hard for us because we're kind of like, oh you know I actually want to help you but I don't want to make things bad for you you guys have talked at length about how you know it's your you're losing out on money it's like if you're saying no it can't be done but people will come in and be like oh well, I came and saw you and you seemed great but I, you know your wait list was three months but this guy said he could do it for me in two weeks time and I was desperate and you could like you understand that desperation of it's like once you've come to the mental time of being like okay I can like finally combat this I've decided I'm going to do it I'm going to invest the money I'm going to organize a care I'm going to get the time off work it's happening and then to be like oh I can't wait three months and so if somebody's dangling like an immediate surgery to something that you you might have had that battle with for years mm. but they're doing it at that time and then you go and then they come to see us again and are like oh it's a special deal if you book today as well we'll give you yeah, a special price yeah exactly and they're like oh well you know I felt uncomfortable with him but like he could do it then and now they come to us to fix stuff. Yeah. And well, that was the exact story I had from, I think it was last week. Yeah. They did a, sl- a different technique than what I do for breast and they're not happy and the shape's not right and now you know, I've got to try and address that and, you know, fix everything up. So, yeah, there, there is, like sometimes like you've just got to be a bit patient and if you don't feel comfortable, just don't go ahead. Yeah, which again is like easier said than done. Like yeah. having that pit in your stomach on the day and being like, um, I don't know if I should go in. But this is our love letter to you, dear listener, that you can say no, we'll support you. Um, so obviously, you know, there's always in any situation, any industry. profession, industry, people are always going to be pushing the limits of what they're allowed to do, kind of like dance along that grey area. I guess my question here is who's regulating this and why hasn't more been done to really stamp down and make sure that, you know, if the surgeon title is outdated for GPs, get rid of it? Why indeed, Kate? There are regulation r- regulatory bodies who should and can look into, into this. 
uh, it's not a difficult – it is not such a difficult problem. Uh, one of my pet hates is when it gets described as a turf war. It is not a turf war. Um, this is a standards uh, war. This is a training war. Uh, this is a safety war. Um, we're not co- – competing with these yeah I was gonna say, it's not even a war it's only a war like one side is invested in fighting <laughs> yeah um so uh, there are a number of uh, bodies where, where this should be addressed so the medical board APRA, that's number one okay so um so that that is very straightforward uh surgeons surgery should be for surgeons finished full stop um so they should be able to enforce that and make People who are qualified with uh, an FRACS, which is the only recognised training body by the Australian Medical Council, they could make rules that only people with those qualifications could do surgery. But even above that, there's also the, the government. So the government can and should step in and stop non-surgeons from doing surgery. It's not complicated. Um, Obviously, GPs still do procedures. No one is suggesting to stop that. There's a very finite number of procedures that could easily, easily be listed um, that are still permissible by uh, non-surgeons. But uh, these types of procedures clearly can be listed and and outlawed and and banned. The other bodies uh, that also bear some uh, responsibility in this situation, sadly, and it saddens me to say it, is the College of Surgeons. So the College of Surgeons has not protected the title of surgeons strongly enough. This has been before them for nearly 30 years and it only impacts plastic surgeons and it's sad to say that they they don't represent us as much as they represent some of the other specialties. When this started to impact the orthopaedic surgeons with podiatrists wanting to do surgery... They, they, yeah, they intervened. Surgeons, they intervened, but for us, they do nothing. But there's more. The 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 bodies that um, accredit hospitals, they could have standards that the to reach accreditation for a hospital, you have to have someone who has the appropriate qualifications and training. They could easily make that ruling and then shut down these facilities so that they cannot have this this type of work being done. So a lot of people um, have uh, dropped the ball here. Um, There's uh, also, I think, uh, the implant companies as well oh, have a responsibility. I have they, brought it up without... They, the implant companies uh, sell shop. implants to anyone that will buy them. Sure, yep. they're a business, but they are a medical business. And if they're all about patient safety as well, then they should be selling or providing or supplying implants to surgeons alone. Absolutely. So, Kate, there there are a number of bodies that have dropped the ball here um, and it just gets um, watered down to being described as a turf war and there's just plastic surgeons against non-plastic surgeons and that is just not what the argument is about. This discussion should be with the regulatory bodies and they should be very simply, only allowing surgery for surgeons. And that would clean the whole thing up. It'd be finished. It'd be done overnight. Yeah, I think they do really trivialise it by making it 
framing it as a turf war and acting like it's like, oh, it's just these like hoity-toity plastic surgeons and all they care about is how they look on paper. It refocuses the argument on being about prestige as opposed to ramifications for the behaviour. Agree. I mean, IBM v Apple, that's a turf war, okay? Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola v Pepsi, turf war, okay? This is talking about patients' lives. This is safety. Why do you think that these regulatory bodies haven't kind of made any progress with it? Like, uh, for all I see, I see on certain Instagram accounts, like, all they post about is cosmetic surgeon versus plastic surgeon. Why haven't we kind of made that move and that progress over the last 30 years? Uh, It's hard to say, really. It's been in front of the regulatory bodies for a long time. Um, Our societies have been pushing it in front of the government um, as well for quite some time. And I think they, as in they being the regulatory bodies, kind of still sort of have this anti-plastic surgeon that all we're in it for is the money. And, like, seriously, you know, that is of of insignificant um, interest to us when we, you know, the patients that we're talking about, we, you know, make it a bit of a joke about the stories that we've told. But, you know, like seriously, harm, harm, a great deal of harm can be done. And sure, we, Rich and I don't have a 100% no complication rate and we would never say that, but we work in hospitals with um, specialist anaesthetists and we have the skills and the backup and the support so that if um, there are any complications or there are any issues, we um, are able to follow through and look after that patient from the start to the very, very end. Um, other other um, cases that I know of are day, day surgery, um, cosmetic clinics where they're doing large volume liposuction and patients are they've got no overnight stay, they've got no backup, they've got no admitting rights at any other hospital. So a patient, it's the end of the day, oh God, it's five o'clock, everyone's got to go home. This patient's got no blood pressure, um, they're bleeding, so they get bundled up, bundled up in an ambulance sent to a public hospital um, because those doctors have um, th- either no ability to actually continue to look after those patients and um, not in a facility where they can do that. So, um, you know, it's just, just frightful. Really. I mean, large volume liposuction is, is virtually never safe. Uh, we saw recently discussions of 10 litres of liposuction. Insanity. <clears throat> I mean... Is, like, that is a... <laughs> I, I cannot... I, I'm sorry for getting angry, <laughs> but I'm very passionate about this. I, like, I have been involved in this discussion for most of my professional career. Uh, and and when, it just makes me so sad because it, it just doesn't need to be like this. A large volume liposuction for me, extremely large, would be two litres that is with a – they've usually got a, a catheter in to monitor their urine output. They've got an anaesthetist monitoring their blood pressure, how much fluid they're getting, and almost invariably that person is staying in hospital overnight and being monitored to make sure that they don't have too much uh, fluid loss. And you just can't do that as a day case procedure and send them home. So uh, I don't, five litres is just – makes my head spin and to uh, make it a, like it's a competition and yeah. oh we're gonna 
know, I said eight, but we'll go for ten because that's that's better. Um, and to be trying to promote that that is a good thing and that you're one of the few people in the world that's doing it, there's a good reason for that because most other people in the world would not be doing that because of safety. Um, so it, it, it's not something to be proud of. Uh, the the regulatory bodies really, 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 really need to be the ones that are stepping up and um, doing this. And it's not because we want more work. We just mm. want um, good work. Yeah. Patients to be, yeah, looked Safety. after well. Um, social media obviously gets blamed a lot in all of these discussions. Is that something that regulatory bodies should be taking into consideration as well? Not necessarily social media as in like ban it but in terms of what content we're putting out and how people use it and like at the moment there's kind of a blanket rule against testimonials etc is that something that should be regulated differently now this is this great myth that um so much uh influences and imagery online is forcing these poor vulnerable young women to be having procedures that they're not um needing that is not what we see at all. We see our our social media as um, informative, educational, supportive for our patients. And I honestly could not tell you the last time I had a patient that came into the rooms that said, I want this operation because I saw Kim Kardashian had it, or that came in with totally unrealistic or, un, you know, they're, they're well-researched and well-informed and... I don't know where those patients are, but certainly I'm not seeing them. But further on that point, and I think because it is just like, oh, well, like filters equal body dysmorphia, but, and I mean, I don't think this is obviously common knowledge at all, but the actual restrictions on social media are things like you can't have testimonials. And so, you know, if there was people out there being allowed, like without this gag order that could be like, this is how my body looks after I've seen this man, et cetera, or like, or you could be posting more honest things. Is that something that needs to be updated? Or is there like, I think our regulatory bodies on social media are quite archaic, for want of a word, a word. And restrictive, so is, is that do we need, if social media is getting this blame, but do the regulators need to actually be more in touch with the current climate? 100%. I, I think the, the issue isn't to, to reduce social media, it, it's to modernise the, the regulations around it. So we're, we're adopting old uh, notions that were in place where there were TV ads or newspaper ads and we've tried to adopt them for social media. And it's obviously very, very different medium and uh, people have much greater access. And I think I, 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 I agree with, I think what you're alluding to, that actually allowing testimonials would actually make it better because then you would see both sides of it um, and you would get a, you'd be able to get a better understanding, just like you do with a, a restaurant or um, any other service industry, you'd get a mixed view, whereas there's this blanket rule because the authorities are, are worried, as Kim was just alluding to, that these poor vulnerable women, uh, as if they're not able to think for themselves, are going to suddenly be influenced because they see a positive review. Um, you know, interestingly, most of those rules are being made up by 
males who are in charge of these uh, these organisations. And I, I, I just think it's very disrespectful. And I, I think it would actually improve it. Kim and I have first-hand experience of patients being better educated, better prepared. I think these rules are often set up by older surgeons who don't want to embrace the new technology and the and the new world and they want to go back to a scenario where patients go to a GP, the, the GP then refers to their buddy. That nepotistic system where you just refer to you know, who you've always referred to, uh, also had flaws. Those GPs have way less understanding of what either patients are trying to achieve, what a good outcome is, who's a good surgeon, than what is now available currently on social media platforms. So I don't want to see restrictions on social media. The social media platforms themselves restrict the type of um, imagery that can be shown on their own platforms. And as we I, well know. As we well know. You can show a male nipple, not a female nipple, which doesn't make sense to me, but there you go. Um, but they um, – I, I, I think that, that there's a case to be made that these things should be opened up and that patients can then get more information – and make better decisions rather than shut it all down and go back to how we operated in the 1970s. I mean, I could go for another week. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Not a turf war, patient safety, patient safety, patient safety. That's number one, two and three. Training and credentials. Qualifications. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry, Sorry, tautological. Hang on, hang on. Sleep aid. (laughs) Training and qualifications. Yeah, I'm still, I'm going to keep all of it in If you liked this episode of Keeping It Real, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, why don't you have a flick through our past episodes? We'd love to hear your requests for future topics, so send your suggestions through to us on IG at Replastic Surgery. That's all for today, and we'll catch you next time for another peek into the world of plastic surgery.